Welcome back to another podcast for Sons of Thunder. We have a special guest today. Her name is Christine Wohar, and she is the director for Frasati USA, and she is a world expert on the life and works of Blessed Pierre Giorgio Frasati. We are looking forward to diving deeper into this manly man, the holy man, who's been an inspiration for uh, all of us out there. Sons of Thunder is a podcast for young men by young men about living a life centered around faith, fellowship, and fitness. Yeah, I just want to say, first of all, thanks for coming on the cast, Christine. I really appreciate it. Sure, sure. Happy yeah, to do really it. really appreciate it. Just so for audience land out there, get an idea who Christine is. Christine, she is the director of Frasati USA, a close confidant of Blessed Pier Giorgio's niece. And Christina, I believe it's the last surviving relative to of Blessed Pier Giorgio, and also considered the world expert on the life and devotion of Blessed Pier Giorgio Frasati. And um, I think the four sons here can attest that Blessed Pier Giorgio has been a uh, real testament to authentic masculinity and um, just a saintly, not yet a saint, but should be a saint soon. Um, so he's been a real Praying inspiration for, for us men here. Do you want me to interrupt you? Please do. <laughs> Always. <laughs> Whenever you well, feel I was like... just going to say, you were saying about Wanda, she is definitely not the last surviving relative. Oh, good. Okay. Um, Pierre Giorgio had one sister and she has six children and they're all in their eighties and nineties, all alive and well, and they have a lot of children. So there's a lot Good. of, okay. I mean, his, his nieces and nephews are, exa- are all alive. I mean, his first, you know, the, his sister's children, I know you so were editing, so I just want to throw that out there. Yeah. yeah. No, thank yes. you for clarifying. So Christine, you, uh, you founded something called Frasati USA. If you want to just tell us a little bit about what Frasati USA is. Well, after I got to know Pier Giorgio, when I moved to Nashville, it kind of started this journey of him being more and more present in my life. And so at, at a certain point, I decided to do this crazy thing and go to Italy and spend time with his niece. And while I was there, just trying to see if there was a way that I could be more involved. She was 79 years old at the time. She just turned 92. But at 79, she was the one who was really doing everything to promote his spirituality around the world. And so we decided pretty fairly on into my visit there in Italy that the way that I could help the most would be to start to do things here in the United States. Because when I first got to know him, you couldn't even really get like a prayer card. I mean, mm-hmm. there was a way to get it, but if you tried to, you'd have to write to this priest who had some and maybe they would send some out or whatever. So for Saudi USA, the genesis of it really was there in Italy at Pier Giorgio's summer home, his family's summer home, talking with his niece about how to help spread his devotion. And if I could start something in the United States, that would be a resource. So it's, it's not a membership organization. A lot of people think like, it's for young adults and we have meetings and things like that. I was involved in groups like that, but this is actually a resource for information to spread mm. the devotion and to have a way for people to get resources, accurate information and things about him. So it kind of started like that. I came back from Italy and I made a 
um, you know, big leap of faith at a certain point a little before this made the decision to go ahead and have a big career change and, and take this this on. So that's what it is. It's it's a ministry to make him known, really, and through making him known, assist in the canonization process. Because I'm not the postulator for Saudi USA, can't really do anything with authority toward canonization other than right. spreading his devotion. People pray through his intercession. You have mm-hmm. a miracle, and then we can report that and hope that, you know. And I, I had a little friendly, not a wager, but a little, um, Pierre Giorgio's niece, Wanda, always would tell people about how I declared one day over there in the dining room that the miracle would come from the United States. And so I'm still hoping that happens and that somehow for Saudi USA will be behind that. Yeah. Yeah. It's just so amazing. I mean, um, just doing research on Pierre Giorgio, just being, just looking into him. It's just so amazing how he's so relatable to, to, Mm -hmm. you know, the young Catholics in, in the United States. So just, I mean, a testament to you, um, for, for starting this, because I mean, you know, all of the, all of the videos and everything like that, it, 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 like over and over, every single person is saying how, Oh, he, he was just a regular guy, you know? Oh, he was just a regular guy and I can relate to him in my, um, in my spiritual life. So it's just so cool that you're able to spread awareness, um, for such a, a humble man. Yeah. I remember my first encounter with Blessed Pierre Giorgio was at a Catholic men's house. And there's this poster of him uh, smoking a pipe up on a mountain on the wall. And I remember Where thinking was like, this Where was uh, at the, in St. Paul, at the St. Paul okay. outreach men's house. And uh-huh. there's posters of um, various actors. There's like James Dean. And then there's also some you know, <laughs> saints, but I, I just thought he was another actor to be honest. Cause I thought there's no way that that's, you know, a blessed or a saint up there smoking a pipe. Cause that's really <laughs> frowned upon apparently. And uh, that was kind of my attraction to him was like, when I found that out that he was a really holy man. And it was like, wow, he's so much more relatable that way. Yeah. So yeah, the saint with the pipe in his mouth and the saint on skis, those are a lot of times you you hear those expressions. Yeah. For me, it was, uh, I mean, that's why Christine, I joined the Catholic church just three years ago. And, um, I learned about blessed Pier Giorgio, um, on, you know, on my journey into the church. And I was just really inspired by just, uh, his impact on the youth in his own life. And since then, I, you know, just actually like looking into him more today, this podcast is around faith, fellowship, and fitness and looking into blessed Pierre Giorgio's life. I realized he has this faith that, you know, with the pillars of just the Eucharist and the blessed mother. And then he has this, this kind of this fitness of mountaineering and bringing, you know, uh, young men and women to the mountains. And then he has this fellowship of just friendship. And I was like, is this the first man to ever actually live out faith, fellowship and fitness like, <laughs> besides Benedictines, I guess. But it's um, like, why haven't we done a podcast on him yet? Yeah. You're going to have to re- <laughs> rename it like faith, fellowship, fitness for Saudi. But I've always been really attracted because I think he, he as, as a saint is uh, very, or as, as a, as you know, have been, been beatified, uh, is a perfect example for the faith for for young men and women today, specifically in his encounter with beauty 
And um, I think, I know JP too had a, a deep devotion to him as well and was the one that beatified him. Uh, and he also talks about how beauty will save the world. And so I'm just, I'm interested to hear with you on this phone call about, uh, you know, what, what, would you, what do you think Frasati would have to say to young men and women about encountering creation, encountering beauty, uh, you know, uh, the, 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 the climate of youth today? What do you think Frasati would have to say? That's interesting that you actually bring up about beauty. Pope John Paul II, when he gave his beatification homily, he, it, and that's all on the the website, but he actually referred to his love for beauty and art as part of his description of him. Hmm. He, he said his love for beauty and art, his passion for sports and mountains, his attention to society's problems did not inhibit his constant relationship with the absolute. And that's a big thing, I think, right now in today's culture for us all is that we have to get back to recognizing the beauty of creation I, and I, because that brings us closer to God. Pierre Giorgio, when he would climb mountains with his friends, he would encourage them and say, the higher we go, the better we can hear the voice of Christ. Mm-hmm. And, and he said that he would, if his studies allowed him, he really was a, we can talk about his student life. It was a problematic thing for him, <laughs> but he, he, um, he said, if my studies allowed me, I would spend entire days in the mountains contemplating in that pure air, the greatness of the creator. So all you have to do really is go stand on top of a mountain and just take in the panorama and you can, you can get that, what he was saying about it. So I think that's really an important thing because we're so tuned into devices and you know, which is great if you're listening to a Sons of Thunder podcast. Don't get me wrong. You need you need your devices. But I think it's really I'm I'm a big offender of this. Like I really have to make myself disconnect and unplug. And in the silence is where we hear the Lord. I mean, I think we really need that silence. And I think Pierre Giorgio, he had that perfect balance because he was able to be a practical joker and a rowdy guy with his friends and, and on the mountains, but he stepped into church and he was a man transfigured like a soldier before his King in complete mm. uh, silence and reverence and adoration, spending, spending so much time in adoration actually. And they would say he could be a guy that was right outside the church laughing and joking inside like a saint. And so he was able to all find that, presence of God also on top of the mountain, but it, it, it drew him closer to Jesus Christ in the Eucharist, Our Lady, and so on. So one thing I think nurtured the other, the beauty of the creation nurtured his love for, for Jesus and, and the church. Wow. Thank you. Wow. Yeah. Christine, uh, you mentioned the rowdiness and the, the jokester. Can you kind of uh, hit on that a little more and just kind of Pier Giorgio Forsati, his, his um, personality? Yeah, you know, that that we are so blessed that we have so many photos of him. And yeah. so you can kind of I think look at pictures cuz you don't really have oh, yeah. that. You know, his he came from an art his mother was an artist and so photography was big in the family. In fact, he was a little bit vain about it because he would take pictures and collect them from his friends and he would critique them. Like he would say your pictures weren't that good, you didn't get a good shot of this or that. <laughs> so he he really appreciated you know what you could see in the photography, but he his friends became like so central to him because of the discord in the home. His parents did not have a happy marriage. And so 
one of the things he said about friendship was that in the in this life after parents and sisters, because he had a sister, the most one of the most beautiful affections is that of friendship. And he said, I would thank God every day because of the friends he put in my life. And so he started this group, which it's hard to translate this into English. And so I use the Italian. It was the Tipiloski. And you'll read in books that it translates to like the shady characters or the sinister ones, kind of like swindlers or I don't know. It's just got a, it's just a, he did it as a tongue in cheek kind of thing <laughs> because his friends were starting to graduate and get married and take jobs. And he wanted a way to keep them united. And so a lot of people will write to me and say, Hey, I saw there was a, a statute of Pier Giorgio's organization for his friends. We'd like to start a group and use that. And I have to tell them it was all a joke. If you could read the Italian, he typed things out on a typewriter and he wrote like he made up a saint, St. Pece di Pazzi. It was a fake saint to be the patron of the group. And he had things like no dogs at meetings. And so if you look at it, print, if you look at it typed out, it looks like some serious list for your organization, you know, but it was things. His motto was um, we're few but good like macaroni. Pokey ma buoni come macaroni it was. Few but good like macaroni. And so <laughs> true Italian. He, he, yeah, but I mean it was just all practical joking. And so he would he was a great writer and he would want them to keep in touch when they traveled. Now so there was no social media or anything like that. You didn't just pick up the phone and call somebody. So he would write if he went to the beach, he would write these things called a proclamation. And if he was at the beach, the sea, he would put it from the aquatic division of the Tipiloski. I mean, it's all a joke. So if you don't know yeah. it, if you pick up a book, you would, you would think it was some serious thing. But he would do that. If he was in the mountains, it was from the, you know, the mountain division. And he and his best friend, Marco, he nicknamed them the terror section. And like, that's not even popular. I can hardly even talk about that today because he would sign sign off like boom, 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 cannon blasts from the terror division. And so like it, it's, it was really, he had a great sense of humor. Once he did that, his, his best friend, Marco joined the air force. He enlisted and Marco actually kind of got punished in the air force because of a note that Pierre Giorgio sent him referring to like cannon blast and boom, boom, boom. They were like, well, what is this? The terror section, you know? So he was a prankster and he had nicknames for every one of them. And, his, he, I mean, he was a fun guy. So he had a difficult home life, but you wouldn't have known it by the way he lived his friendships. Just always looking for an opportunity for practical jokes and they pulled them on him too. So I, I love that about him. I mean, he took his faith very seriously. He took his vocation as a student very seriously. He was very involved politically, but he knew how to have a good time. So that, I think, is why he's so relatable, because he had our problems. You know, he just got through each day the way we get through each day in a sense of humor, a sense of uh, discipline. I mean, I, I don't know. There's that's, That, I think, is why he's so attractive at really all ages, all demographics. He just comes across as just the kind of guy you'd like to be friends with. Yeah. Wow. Thank you, Christine. And as long as we're on this vein of... And relatability, comparability, I think it's hard for people nowadays, millennials, Gen Zs, to really find you know, a relatable aspect to the saints of really, really old. And so it's nice to find a guy who acts like we do in certain ways and is so close to God like you've spoken about. But can you just hit on or draw out 
on different ways that he was he suffered in this life or talk a bit about the relationship with his parents or even personal faults that we know all humans have because we so painfully know of our own faults and it's hard to compare our own experiences with that of a saint, even a guy, you know, less than a century ago. One of the quotes I like to uh, refer to is from Pope Francis, actually, a few years ago on Feast of All Saints. He was speaking, he said, saints are not supermen who are born perfect, yeah, but yeah. ordinary people who followed God with all their heart. Mm. Whenever I go to give a talk, I like to start with this because we we are all called to be holy. In, in the beatification homily, uh, Pope St. John Paul II said that Pierre Giorgio testifies that holiness is possible for everyone because we're not all going to be those super saints. There are these great saints that I always like to give examples of these great saints who, you know, they had the stigmata, they bilocated or they founded religious communities and schools and churches and hospitals and saw the Blessed Mother and all of that. I'm not, I'm not going to be one of those. I don't know about you guys. I'm, I'm, I don't think that not, I'm going to fit into that category in my lifetime. But in the category of Pierre Giorgio is, like Pope Francis said, an ordinary person who followed God with all his heart. Yeah. So you can look at his life and say, well, he had everything that we popularize here. He had wealth. He, his parents were, um, his father was really more of a self-made man, I would say, in a certain sense. But he borrowed money to start a newspaper. He bought a newspaper and renamed it. And it's still a very, it was the one of the two leading papers in Italy for a long, long time, and it's still very well known, La Stampa. And because he was so uh, prominent as a journalist, he was made a senator, and then he was appointed the ambassador to Berlin. So he really rose up this level of influence. Pierre Giorgio was born into that. I mean, he had the family with prestige, wealth, opportunity, a butler, maids, chauffeur, gardeners, you know, all of those things, cooks in the house and all. He had good looks. Uh, girls love him. Women love him. I mean, he was a, he, easy on the eye, like we like to say. <laughs> yeah, he was oh, yeah. a manly man. So, I mean, I think guys, guys love him for his manliness. Mm. He wasn't the greatest student, but really that's also misunderstood a little bit. And I think that was a uh, one of the things that was really difficult for him because his younger sister, who was 16 months younger, Luciana, she finished her college degree like a regular age, like you would. And so he's older than her and he dies without even finishing it. And sometimes his parents would say things like, you know, Pierre Giorgio, if you continue this way, you're going to be a blockhead. I mean, that's actually like in the book, the, wow. the translation that was the blockhead. I'm thinking who said that word back then, but his mother said once, if even if he lived to be 40, he would never be half as, uh, you know, smart as his sister Luciana. So he knew that as the man in the family, he was supposed to be ambitious and finish his degree like his, his sister did, like she put him to shame. He kind of shunned all of that wealth and um, he didn't want the high life. His sister is very honest in her books to say about how he he didn't want the high life. He would come in at the end of a party just to greet the guests and go. So in the family, I think a big heartache for him was how deeply misunderstood he was. Mm. And I know a lot of people who that really gets them because even when he died, his father said to his mother, we didn't know our son. Wow. And it's hard for us to really, I think, let people see who we are. But his family, 
I think, had the blinders on because they wanted him to be this perfect kind of son who took over the family business, wanted to have interest in politics and wealth and all of that. And instead they had a guy who was going into the poor sections of the city and helping the poor and giving away his coat on a freezing day and coming home without his shoes and things like that. So he was misunderstood in the family. And I think that was a real cross for him. And his, his student life was a problem because he started at 16 years old, his real involvement with the poor, joining a St. Vincent de Paul Society. To, and so he spent a lot of time out working for the poor, and he was really happy if he just got a passing grade. If you see his grade sheet, there's a lot of 60s and 65s and 70s. And that was, he was just glad to pass. But that created a problem for him in the family unit. Not that they didn't love him and they were a close unit, because that gets blown out of proportion a little bit. But it was a really hard thing for him. And then his parents' marriage was not a happy marriage, and that took a heavy toll on him as well. So he had, and then we can talk later about his his relation, his feelings for this girl that's widely discussed. But so I think he, I think those were really heartaches for him. How he yeah. was misunderstood in the family, and that he wasn't measuring up. Because how many of us feel like we're just not good enough? And I think yeah. that feeling was probably there. Um, reminded, he was probably reminded of that almost daily because he wasn't measuring up. He wasn't even fulfilling. They said once it would have been better for Luciana to be the man in the family because she was doing all of the things that they had really had hopes that he would do or take an interest in. Uh, That had to have been hard, you know, really um, a heartache. Yeah. I mean, that's, I mean, that's so personable. And I think that's so relatable to a lot of young men and women today, you know, attempting to live a radical life, of, of Catholicism and Christianity of following the Lord. Uh, and you know, I, um, whenever I think of Fasadi, I think of his love for the poor and how his family, like you said, didn't really know him. And then at his funeral, like thousands of people in the community that he would serve showed up at his funeral and his family was, I think for the first time understood the influence that he had. Um, but you, you were saying something about his father, Jacob, or yeah, Christine, you mentioned his father a little bit there. And, uh, do mind touching on kind of pure Giorgio Frasati relationally. Could you maybe speak about how like the relation there between having an agnostic father and then being such a devout um, Catholic and kind of how that influenced him? This is another thing that you have to keep in mind that a lot of what we have in English is translated from Italian books. Okay. Mm-hmm. So if you go back into the original books you can kind of get a better understanding of Mr. Frasati's spirituality, let's say. I think it's best if you think of him like a cradle Catholic who just, like a lot of people we know who don't go to church. So he's described sometimes as agnostic and atheist. And I think that he had a deep respect for the church. They hired religious to be in the home. I mean, he, he actually defended the Jesuit fathers, which led to them saying, if you need anything. And he said, well, actually, my son's struggling in Latin. And so they sent a Jesuit father to come and teach there, Georgia. So Mr. Frasati definitely had respect for the church, but he just was one of those, you know, a businessman, cradle Catholic. He just didn't go to church. So I think, you know, that was a definitely a sorrow for Pier Giorgio as well. And it's something that changed after his death. Uh, there is a good book that gives you a little glimpse into some of that and how he went back to the sacraments after Pier Giorgio died. 
But that would have been a difficult thing. But they had a good relationship. Mr. Frasati and Mrs. Frasati, if you look at them, a lot of the pictures, they look so distinguished that you can hardly... Where he's so relatable, they seem not very relatable. And I think that's just misleading based on the pictures that we have. His mother would leave him notes like, you know, could you just shave? It only takes a few minutes in the morning, <laughs> you know, like little things, you know. And um, his father actually resigned as ambassador of Berlin when Mussolini came to power and he had no respect for fascism and Mussolini. He said he resigned. He said I could never face my son. Like he would have never been able to face Peter Giorgio staying in that position. He was a man of integrity that wouldn't have stayed there anyway. But Peter Giorgio was the, was the guy who, even though there was the tension that he wasn't living up to the measure that the family had for a son of a successful political figure, his father had a deep respect for him. And he was the one who if he asked his father something, his father was really unable to deny him like favors. After he died, I heard from Wanda that some of the friends, the Frasadis didn't really know his friends, and some of them took advantage of the fact that Mr. Frasadi was so um, much in grief over his son, but that if anybody approached him and said they were his friend, that meant so much to him. So he respected his father deeply. Pierre Giorgio respected his father deeply and his father respected him. But I think it was just difficult that he didn't have the same value system and his father didn't have the faith framework. And I think we, we know that when we have friends that aren't really, it's like you speak a different language almost. One of the biggest things between those two was when Pierre Giorgio was close to graduation, he was majoring in mining engineering which I think really shows what kind of a guy he is. We talked about how he loved to be on the mountains, yeah. would spend his whole life up there if he could. And mm-hmm. yet he chose a career path. He could have just taken like PE, you know, like just nothing <laughs> because he could have had a great job of his family business. He took mining engineering because he wanted to be down in the mines. Imagine a guy who loved being on the top of the mountains, no. wanted to work down in the mines because that was where the poorest of the poor were in those jobs. Mm, wow. His father was never going to allow that. Um, His father had the newspaper and he expected Pierre Giorgio to work at the paper. But he himself couldn't go to talk to his son about it. He sent one of the editors of the paper who went to Pierre Giorgio and said, you know, I told him your father has the desk and the books, things ready for you. And he said, the, the man said that with tears in his eyes, Pierre Giorgio said, will this make my father happy? If, if this will make my father happy, then tell him I accept. So he died before he graduated. And that story, we never know how that would have ended because he respected his father so much that he was willing to take that job at a desk at a newspaper, which was so far from what he really wanted personally. So there was a great mutual love there. Um, and, I, and I think that Pierre George's prayers are probably what after his death brought his father back into the fullness of the faith. Yeah. Wow. That's, that's beautiful. I mean, I love your, I love your insight. And uh, so I, I would love to talk a little bit more about Frasati's life itself and then, you know, uh, his faith and the impact on the poor, but then I would love to hear more about your, your time spent with, is it, is it Luciana? Is that how you pronounce it? Right. His sister okay. Luciana. Yeah. yeah. I would love to hear more about, you know, your, your time with her and that, and how his, his life had an impact in their family. But before we get there, um, you know, 
in this podcast, we talk a lot about the pursuit of greatness. And I think a lot of men out there and uh, just a lot of people are pursuing greatness and make, I'm making quotations with my hands right now. And, and for Saudi reading, reading the website for Saudi USA, you had talked about how uh, like mediocrity of how he, he could always overcome mediocrity because of his encounter with his faith, but also with the poor. And it just, it got me thinking about, how, you know, he was given everything. He was given a wealthy family. Uh, you know, he, he could have been given a lot of cushy jobs, but he always chose to place himself with the, with the lowly and with the poor. And I think there's a certain encounter that we have when encountering the poor and encountering the lowly that makes us realize what we do have and it makes us not be mediocre. And I think we live in a very mediocre society. A lot of people just want to be the best of the least, if that makes sense, or the best mm-hmm. of the mediocre. Mm-hmm. And so I'm, I'm just, I'm just interested if interested if you could speak more into the, this idea of mediocrity and how Frasati lived a way of, of life that his faith in the fellowship and his fitness, everything that he had would, would really overcome this, this idea of mediocrity. Yeah. I think that that's really important. The, the example that he gives for us not to settle. I had actually the priest who introduced me to Pierre Giorgio, Father John Sims Baker. He's on on our board. He's a great spiritual uh, advisor. But one of the things he told me a long time ago, he said one of his seminary professors had said, don't slug it out for mediocrity, Mm. sprint for glory. And how much of us slug it out from, how many of us slug it out from mediocrity? And the quote that goes along with that from Pierre Giorgio is that he said, to live without the faith, without a patrimony to defend, without a steady struggle for the truth is not living, but existing. And we should Mm -hmm. never just exist, but live. And so I think that that really obviously meant so much to him. And that quote is taken out of a letter where he actually was talking about how great it is to be a Catholic. So he starts out by saying, poor, unlucky, those who don't have the faith. And then he goes into that quote and he says, because we should never just get along, but live because we are the ones who have the truth a faith to sustain us and banish all melancholy and don't live like faith is lost. I mean, really live your life. So I think that's really an important thing that he kind of sets the tone for um, striving for greatness. I think looking at his mountain climbs is also informative because Pierre Giorgio would take on very difficult climbs. He would sometimes, he would get life insurance when he would go on a difficult (laughs) climb and leave, leave his sister, the, the beneficiary. (laughs) Wow! (laughs) because he said when you go into the mountains you should be prepared because a lot of people did die but he would use a professional guide and and we need that like in our own lives like you just don't wake Mm -hmm. up one day and be like fit and trim and you know six-pack abs and and climb the top of i mean you have to work progressively to get better at things so i think it wasn't just that he got up one day and climbed the toughest peak he he got a guide he had good equipment he had wax skis if he was going skiing like he put in all this all the um invisible things i think that you don't see when you see somebody achieve a lot and so he took a good guide with him to get him a local guide to get him up the mountains when he would get up there they would pray the prayers for the dead because you would pass even now if you climb a mountain you'll see places markers like like we have on the highway where people died so he had like a systematic way i think of getting to the top and i think also he identified in the sick and the poor, there's a great quote of him where he said to never forget around those people you're approaching Christ. So he was able to, I think, have that heart for the poor, you know, shunning mediocrity and 
and giving it all because he said around the sick and the poor and the unfortunate, I see a light that we do not have. He recognized that in him and felt like it wasn't it. You know, he like he wasn't didn't have that degree of holiness. I think that reflects like deep humility and also the kind of person that he was. So. I don't know if that answers your question at all, because no, I have this problem. I'm, I'm half Italian. Imagine if I was all answer. Italian, how much yeah. I talk, right? That was beautiful. Thank you, Christine. That, no, that really answered my question. Um, I used to, I'm not sure if you've heard, have you, have you heard of Camp Otiwa? Who? What camp? Oh, Camp Camp Otiwa, it's just, it's a, it's a Catholic camp in Denver and we have the different teepees that the kids, the campers sleep in are named for saints. And one of them is for and we would always, uh, the, the goal of this camp was to do things in the mountains and then talk about how they reflect into the, the venture of faith and the faith life using metaphors. And, uh, I just, you know, and I always thought of Frasati just bringing, you know, young men and women up the mountain with him for that fellowship and for, you know, finding metaphors to the, to the Christian life. So, um, thank you for sharing that. I'm, I'm really interested in, so it was 2006 and 2007 that you went over to Italy. Is that right? Um, I went over in 2006 for Holy Week when I met okay. Pierre Giorgio's niece for the first time. Wow. And so I'm, I'm really interested in learning uh, more about, um, just because you have such a great perspective, such a great vantage point on all of this, of, you know, Fasadi's heritage in his family or Fasadi's memory. Um, you know, maybe his family didn't really know him when he was on earth, but in his passing, I'm sure they, they, they encountered so much of the, of the faith and the greatness that he brought to, to the world. Um, you know, from, from, from spending time with, uh, Luciana, did she ever talk about just how maybe family changed after he passed? Well, okay. Luciana was his younger sister. I met Luciana three days before she turned 104. Wow. Oh my goodness. Wow. We, I was at her, I was there for her 104th birthday party. We had ice cream cake on the back porch of the, the veranda so there of the home. Oh Goodness. But um, I so we didn't have a lot of conversations at 104. She slept a lot of she would come downstairs and go upstairs. And yeah. sometimes she was more lucid than other times. But I never really had conversations with her. Um, she died at 105 in 2007. And I That's happened amazing. to be there. And I was I was there at the spending about that pretty much the last month of her life there. And then I had gone to visit some family and Wanda, her daughter called me and said that her mother had passed away. So I went back and I was able to go to her funeral. Wow. Uh, Luciana though is the one who wrote the books and really left us the legacy. Unfortunately, only a few are translated into English. This is something that I would like to see more of. I, I was very blessed because the letters of Pier Giorgio were published. I was able to work with Wanda on getting that published. And we actually spent a good bit of time in Rome and again the next year in Polone, which is where the summer family home is. And we went line by line, actually word by word through every one of those letters. And as we would wow. do that, Wanda would stop and she would explain something. She had the Italian version and I had the English and we were working on the translation and she would stop and she said, well, you know what happened there? Mother told me. And so she would tell me these terrific stories about it all. So that was really a priceless a time in this whole adventure for myself in getting to know him. Yeah. So I really didn't, I, I mean, I was able to meet Luciana and my bedroom when I go there is on the main floor and she would always walk at, at 104. She would come down the steps. Her, her bedroom was a beautiful big staircase. I think there's a picture of it on the website. I'm not sure, 
Um, and she would come down the steps and I would be laying there in my bedroom thinking, that's Pierre Giorgio's sister coming down the steps wow. right over. I mean, it was incredible that's to me, crazy. really. That's and she died in her bedroom there. She had the same bedroom there for 105 years, imagine. Oh my wow. goodness. Wow. Wow. <laughs> oh my. So Christine on your, on, on the website, it had said that, uh, you were, you know, this, this, this kind of this reflection of being at Pierre Giorgio's Frasati's sister's funeral when she was at his funeral. Um, can you just tell us a little bit about that experience and what kind of, you know, that, that spiritual experience or just being there? Um, I would just love to hear that perspective. Being at Luciana's funeral. Yeah. Yeah. You know, that was a that was a special time for me. I, nobody's ever really asked me that question, but it really was a special time because my mother had passed away suddenly years before I did this, or she would have probably worried sick over me going off to Italy and doing yeah. all these crazy things. And my father, who was, and my younger sister, who are not real risk takers, I had left the villa when, well, I say the villa, it's their summer home, but we just, everybody there says the Forsati Villa, but it was really built by his mother's father. So it's really Amitas, the Amitas Villa, but I, I always used to say that wrong. But um, I had just gone to see family and Wanda called me and said, mother died. And I already had a ticket back to the U.S. It was 10, 10, 10. No, uh, she died in 2007. So it could have been 2010. It was on October. She died on October 7th, the feast of Our Lady of the Rosary. Wow. That's right, right? Wow, that's beautiful. Which, I thought that was very significant because he was so devoted to Our Lady. Yeah. And the funeral was going to be on October 9th. And I had a ticket back on October 10th, 10-10, 2007. Wow. It was another year I came back, 10-10-10. Wow. Life to the full? They, what's that? Sorry, just John 10-10, uh, Jesus came that we may live life to the full. I just thought that was another Versace reference in a way. But <laughs> never mind. Is, is, is that the right scripture, John 10-10? Yeah. I have come that you would have life. In. Yeah. You know, that's so funny you say that because... I'm so old that I went to World Youth Day in Denver, and that was the theme. Yeah. I never thought of that. I never thought of that until the second you say that. Yeah, wow. yeah. Anyway, my I, <laughs> that was my that was the theme of World Youth Day. Was, um, John that's Ten, so I have cool. come that you would have life and have it. And isn't that funny? Because that's his message: is to really live your life, live, mm -hmm. not exist. Mm. See, I'm connecting all these dots here tonight. Well, and, and with JP2 in Denver when he beatified Frasati, you know, it's just oh. you know, his love of the mountains and I love that. I love that. In the Rockies. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, well, anyhow, um, yeah. well, anyway, so she called me and I was with family actually in Modena near Bologna. And um, I actually talked to my, my dad and sister and said, it will take me some effort to get there. You think I should go? And they didn't hesitate. They said, you should go. I mean, what are the chances? And so with their encouragement, one of my cousins gave me a car and hooked up a, a GPS and I drove back to Turin and I actually had like a really a miraculous experience of how I ended up getting there. And then I, I found a parking place, got a cab and the cabs can take you right up onto the area where you can't right in front of the cathedral. Yeah, and he dropped me off and I walked in just as um, they had taken Luciana's coffin over to the left side of the cathedral where the shroud is, the cathedral of Turin. Oh, His, wow. There's a side altar there, which people don't really know, but if you ever have gone into Turin to the cathedral to see the shroud, you've walked right past his, his, yeah. his, uh, his body is there incorrupt in a coffin behind something. So you don't even really know it. You don't yeah. see it, but they had opened up the gates there. It's hard to describe. And they had paused her coffin to like salute a farewell mm. salute kind of to her wow. brother. 
And there were quite a few cardinals on the altar. And I walked in and did the, he said, in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit. I mean, I really couldn't believe it that the Lord got me there, like That's to so the cool. second. And then they had a second mass back in Polone, and I was able to go to that, obviously. And after that, they put her body in the family crypt in the cemetery there right where he had been for all of those years. When he was beatified, they moved his body to the cathedral in Turin. Mm. But they put her in there. And I was standing there with Wanda while the mason or whatever you call it was actually how they do there. They put her coffin in the wall kind of, and he was putting whatever you have to put on there to you know, put the stone back over it. Mm. Yeah. Just the two of us. And I remember thinking uh, for a long time, I mean, I was like there with her daughter, and and Wanda and I were really the two at that point that I would say were most involved in working on promoting his spirituality. And so it was really like a real gift from the Lord that I would be there at that last moment when Luciana was laid to rest finally there in the crypt and to be there with Wanda. Just the fact to have even have spent time with her, she would come downstairs and sit outside at the back of the property, which is a beautiful view. She wrote many, many books, not just on her brother. She was a poet and she had historic works on like Turin and different places. And sometimes you would sit there and flip pages with her and sometimes she would say something. But I spent a lot of time like that, not in conversation with her, but just really taking it in, you know, the here I am with Pierre Giorgio's sister. And that is really incredible, really. Yeah. Even now, I, when I think about it, talk about yeah, it, it so really amazing. is. That's a, wow, that's a that's an, that's a beautiful story. I, thank you so much for sharing that, Christine. You, um, well, first of all, one question, how many World Youth Days have you been to? And then second question is, uh, I read on the website as well that you helped move the remains of Blessed Pierre Giorgio Fasati from Turin to Australia for the World, for World Youth Day. Is that right? Um, kind of what I what, no, Yes and no. I mean, I helped in the sense that when that happened, Wanda asked me to go back over to Rome. She lives in Rome. And because he was being brought to Australia and he died of an infectious disease, polio, hmm. there were a lot of issues because you're basically, you know, when you import something. So there were a lot of issues. Yeah. So I was helping her from the Rome side of things Got it. in with the people who were in Australia who were responsible for everything down there at World Youth Day. And, you know, I'm a lawyer. I, I actually, um, by profession, am a lawyer. I don't, I'm licensed. I don't practice because I started doing this wow. ministry full-time 13 years ago. So it was easier for me to be involved in those kinds of things, like looking into the issues of how do you import, uh, you know, a body, which yeah. some people thought that was pretty, you know, if you're, it is kind of one of the, even one of my sisters said, why do we do that? Yeah. Isn't that morbid? Why do we do that? And it is hard. I did not go to Australia, but how many people I have spoken to who said one of the most moving things was going, to, I don't know if any of you guys went, but they had, the, we had the big, there was a big, um, all these banners and things leading up to where his body was in the coffin. They wow. made a new coffin. They had to make a new coffin for him uh, to go to Australia. And that was really a high point for a lot of people who were able to go and pray at his coffin there at World Youth Day. Yeah. Wow. I actually only went to the one in Denver. Okay. Uh, that's the only one I went to. I, and that's a long story, but that I'm actually not, I'm Byzantine Catholic. I'm Eastern Rite. And I went because I was doing youth ministry and they wanted to take all the Eastern Rite kids. So, 
Yeah, I never got any exotic trips. I go to Denver from Pittsburgh. Wow, I, I missed I mean, out on the. <laughs> and, but I mean, that one was definitely worth it. That's you know, the Pope came out of a helicopter in the on the Broncos field. So that's yeah, pretty memorable pretty, experience. Pretty there. amazing. Um, but uh, that was an awesome moment. Actually, there was a rainbow from one end to the other of that. No, way. no uh, I'll never wow. forget that. That was one of the in my lifetime. That was one of the most incredible moments I've ever lived through. That what you just talked about that's him flying amazing. in and how he entered that stadium. It was unreal. It was electric. That's amazing. That's amazing. When I uh, so John and I um, we actually studied abroad in Rome, and I actually I kind of took a. Um, a pilgrimage in a way from Venice through the, the Dolomites, the, the Northern Italian Alps over to turn with, with a good friend of mine. And we kind of ended it at his, at his, uh, his tomb in, you know, in front of his remains. And, uh, that beautiful picture of him, that painting of, of him, I think is my favorite of him just kind of sternly looking, um, you know, just forward and just mm -hmm. confident. And you can tell, like you said, like, you know, there's that troublemaker, but then also that really deep sense of faith and intellectual life, um, and care for the poor. So Christine, thank you. Thank you so much. This has been such a gift. Yeah, um, yeah. we, we love your, your testimony and, um, we, we appreciate so much what you do. Yeah. Christine, I think we could have you on for like 10 more podcasts and we'd yeah. just be <laughs> scratching the surface. So thank you. Thank you so yeah, much. Yeah, I, I really appreciate you guys bringing him up and I am sorry. I do have this problem where I just go on and on, but oh, no. it's just, there's so much it's information amazing. about him. I mean, we, like you say, we barely scratched the know. surface about him, but he's really, he's a gift to the church and, yeah. You know, yeah, it's just terrific maybe, that you guys are bringing him, you know, bringing him more to the forefront through your podcast. Absolutely. Maybe we can do round two and, you know, yeah, <laughs> next time. All right. Well, happy editing. And thanks for all you guys do up there. I really appreciate Thank it. Thank you. Absolutely. Yeah. We're going to end Christine, with a prayer. Um, I think we're going to end with the prayer for courage. Um, so in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen. Mm -hmm. amen. Heavenly Father, give me the courage to strive for the highest goals to flee every temptation, to be mediocre. Enable me to aspire to greatness as Pierre Giorgio did and to open my heart with joy to your call to holiness. Free me from the fear of failure. I want to be, Lord, firmly and forever united to you. Grant me the graces I ask you through Pierre Giorgio's intercession by the merits of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. 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 It's a beautiful yeah. prayer. Thanks for sending that. Yeah. Yeah. Blessed Pierre Giorgio. Pray for us. Pray for, pray us. for us. We'll be sure to Amen. be posting that prayer on our Facebook and Instagram. I think that's a very beautiful prayer for the intercession of Blessed Pierre Giorgio. And then hopefully you can get canonized uh, because of it. So yeah. Christine, thanks again. Amen. Hey, we'll you're be welcome. on the lookout whenever for you, some miracles. <laughs> yeah. Whenever you guys have this, let me know. I can put it on Facebook and as well. And thank awesome. You, thank thank you. you so much. Well, you got Eric, Jacob, Sean and John. So thanks again, Christine. Thanks, Christine. Take care. You're welcome. God bless. God bless. God bless you. Bye-bye. Sons of Thunder is a podcast for young men by young men about living a life centered around faith, fellowship, and fitness.